0: Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending April 9. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on the podcast, you are going to hear our interview with Magda Zabanski. Uh, she checked in with us to talk about her new book, Timmy, the ticked off pony and the Pooh of excitement. It was very funny and lovely to have her back. Uh, we also talked to Jackie Tang, who reviewed the book, All Who Live on Islands by Rose Lu. Uh, Daniel
1: and I talked about what it's like broadcasting from home, and might have had a bit of a Mean Girls moment with Sarah. And also, by, by accident, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, um, I um, discovered uh, mystical animals near where I'm living.
2: Uh, we also chatted to Matthew McKay, who's a Triple R subscriber living in Italy, about what it's like for him living in lockdown over there, and for Feature Creatures, we chatted to Simon Hinckley about Portuguese millipedes. RRR. Magna Jabanski is a multi-award winning actor and producer whose highly acclaimed best-selling memoir, Reckoning, won the New South Wales Premier's Literary Award and the Australian Book Industry's Book of the Year in 2016. She's just released her first children's book, Timmy, the Ticked-Off Pony in the Pooh of Excitement. And the beloved icon of Australian screens joins us on the line now. Magda, welcome back to Breakfasters. Hello, how are you? Really Good. swell. Um, Good. What is it swell. about... <laughs> yeah, Yeah, <laughs> in all the right places. What, what is it about... Uh... They
3: transported you in from 1953.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Well, that's right. In isolation, i am regressed. Uh, what is it about this project and the tale of Timmy's Pool of Excitement that was uh, busting to get out of you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, uh, uh, my friend Kristen, who is actually the person who came up with the phrase foxy moron, which I then passed on to Gina and Jane, has a knack for um, for nicknaming and uh, phrase making, and she observed that, you know, I'm quite good-natured, I'm sort of round and small and cute. But in certain moods, I'm like a little effed-off Shetland pony. <laughs> and, you know, can I say the F word? You can. Yeah, yeah go on. Oh, yeah. So she, she nicknamed me. Uh, she said, oh, you're like a little fucked-off Shetland pony. <laughs> so, so it became this thing. So my another friend had a pony called Timmy. And so it became my nickname was Timmy the Fucked-off Shetland pony. And <laughs> And you know, you know what Shetlands are like. I mean, they're the vicious little, biter little fucks. And um, and um, and it just it just sort of became this funny character. And people go it, when I was in a certain mood, they go, "Oh, Timmy's here! Timmy's here!" Yeah. And uh, and and then um, I was sort of mucking around, toying with the idea of, of doing a kids' book because I, you know, years ago I used to work at a women's refuge and I used to tell stories to the kids, which is when I learnt that it it really is almost like a crime to not you know, when you're telling a kid's story, it just has to be about poo and farts. It's yes. just, you know, that it, it just doesn't work if, if, if that's not what it's about. So I thought, well, just... You know, stop all pretense and just go straight for it. And then um, after I wrote Reckoning, which is a book about intergenerational trauma, Scholastic approached me to write a kids' book. I don't know what made them. <laughs> <make> them <different. laughs> so I went from, you know, intergenerational trauma
2: to poos of excitement, as you do. Well, it is quite traumatic for Timmy. I mean, he yeah, he is. he does sort of cack his dax. Uh, Was it live on TV or is it. Cack his
3: dacks? What are you going to. The other one I love is shut your neck. <laughs> <laughs> shut
2: your neck. Um, um,
3: um, he does. He's, he's about to reach peak fame. He's very, um, uh, you know, he's very vain. He's very vain about his mane. He's very – he's part of that whole sort of narcissistic selfie, you know, he's Insta-famous. Um, and he's about to reach peak fame, which he thinks will win him the heart of Saffron Horse Blanket, who is a, a pony with an excellent pedigree. She's by majesty out of regal. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, that phrase, you know, just that phrase, out of by, that, I always love that. Um, and um, he's about to, you know, really make it big. Um, and his little hoof is just about to, is just on the edge of the, of the, the spotlight on the red carpet when he he um he gets a bit overexcited and doesn't prove excitement and um and then he be, he rapidly sort of plummets into the the land of the land of unfame and unfamousness, which is very confronting for him.
2: I suppose given being it semi-autobiographical it begs the question yes. whether you've um committed similar act or not, you know, or you've obviously in an illustrious no, I've career, I've never
3: sharted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I've never sharted, like I have, but, but I've yeah. never sharted just out of excitement. But another friend, um, Helen Mary, who's since deceased, God bless, rest her soul. She was the one that drew my attention. This is like, you know in the 1980s she was on a phone call she said I've got to run to the toilet I said why she said oh you know it's a perfect excitement I went what <laughs> and she said oh you know the perfect excitement and then Sharon actually when she's in the video shop Sharon Streslecki with the excitement of the array of like a kid in a lolly shop with all the videos that you can get she suddenly has the urge you know so um you know I do I do understand that uh that whatever that phenomenon is but mm. uh yeah, that's Timmy's affliction, and so um, pretty much, it's, you know, it's a, a, a might also be his superpower because in later books he does go to study with a fart guru. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: it's kind of a strange time to be launching a kids' book. I imagine usually you might be doing in-store book appearances and stuff. Are, are there plans for you oh. to do a live reading of the book online? Or anything um, like this?
3: I don't know. Well, we actually did a little animation of it with me doing the voice of Timmy because he's like, oh, my God, that's so fabulous. So boring. Um, uh, And we did a little animation because Dean Rankin, who did the illustrations, he he did stuff like The Simpsons. He's quite a legend, you know, in his own right. And he did the most fantastic illustrations for it. And there's a lot of adult sort of Easter eggs throughout the whole book, really. There's a, you know, when Timmy's about to do an audition for his big break, um, his arch nemesis, Tony, the show pony, turns up and Timmy says, of all the audition rooms in all the world, he has to walk in mine." <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's all kind of, there's lots of, um, his, his stalker Lorraine, um, <laughs> she, she sort of keeps hanging around, <laughs> so it's like, it seems like, he says things like, "I can't stand Lorraine at my window," and, <laughs> and here, comes, here comes Lorraine again. <laughs> so it's just um, you know, it, it's it's really interesting. I've just sort of put on um, Twitter and Instagram some you know video of me doing stupid dancing to Earth, Wind and Fire, September. You know, <laughs> and and it's that thing of. We're all trying to think what is the what do we do at this time of crisis, and I think um, two things: keeping your spirits up, but not being in denial. Because as someone said, you know, whilst we're all dancing in our lounge rooms, they're putting through foresting lo- logging laws in. <laughs> they're breaking on the logging, but we're winding back the logging laws and in Victoria, and so. I think humour is, it's like, in, in some ways, it's a weird time to be launching this book. It came out, it was always planned to come out on April the 1st, but I think people, you know, I mean, going back to Reckoning, you know, my mother was Scottish Irish. They, they, they know about intergenerational trauma. My father, um, she lived through the Depression. My father lived through the Depression and the Second World War in Poland. And I tell you what, a sense of humour is crucial you know, really crucial in hard times because you, you have to, if you sort of give in to despair, um, then that also means you sort of give into to inaction in a lot of ways. So keeping your sense of humour whilst not tipping over into complete denial is the balancing act, I think.
2: Mm. Uh, did you have any, uh, was it, what was the correspondence like with the with Dean, the illustrator? Uh, you know, because well, to see yourself as a pony. Yeah,
3: well, it's not really.
2: I <laughs> oh, no, you know, I know. But, I know.
3: <laughs> but um, it's really funny in some articles in some newspapers. There, I made that joke about it being semi autobiographical, and they're treating that like it's serious. because yeah. <laughs> 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 I really am a pony. Um, and uh, um, he, we would have conversations, and there would just be a bit of tweaking backwards, back and forth, and and. Um, uh you know, getting the what the right sort of look of it was and um and he was great. He was fantastic to work with. He totally got it. I mean you've got to you know, it's it's sort of strange to be fun together with something you've never worked with before, but mm. but I think it's worked extremely well and I'm j i am I could not be happier with the illustrations that he's done. I think they're just oh every time they come back I'm like, oh my god, I love that. So yeah, it's been. Um, you know, we just have conversations and meetings every now and then, and then you know, I send off the book, and he he illustrates it, and I'm like,
2: yay! And are the others, <laughs> the others finished, or you're in the progress. Uh, I'm up
3: to book two's very nearly completed. I'm I'm on to book three. Um, um, someone said, oh, you know, why why is it a cliffhanger? It's like, well, you know, storytelling one oh one. Of course, mm. it's a cliffhanger because <laughs> 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 there's at least five books in the series. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it's really you know um, really been great working with Scholastic. I mean, they know this stuff, you know, they know what they're doing. So I feel I'm in very good hands, and uh, it's just been fun, really, really fun.
2: And just on the reading it to kids, well, that that voice that you did with the you know poo happens,
4: yep. p- yep. well, yeah. Poo-ha-p- so is
2: that is that the best? You know, do you have any advice for reading to kids, like to really amp up it, amp up the performer ability and
3: um, Land the story? Oh, gosh. Um, um, well, a lot of kids can read it themselves, um, and um, some of them are doing their own voices for it. Uh, but I think, oh, look, y- you know, I would never put that pressure on anyone to, to be the, to, to, to feel like you have to be a performer. To be Mamma <laughs> 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 But, um, you know, just have fun with it. And, and if you want to do silly voices and muck around, look, mucking around could just never be wrong, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you can um, find what the voice is or ask your child to, you know, they can find what the voice is or whatever. But that that could be some of the fun of it or you can watch the, the animation that's floating around to, so you can have Timmy's voice in your head and <laughs> then, you know. Either imitate it or not, or
2: whatever. All right. Well, Timmy the ticked off pony in the poo of excitement is uh, <laughs> it's out now through Scholastic. And we've been speaking with yes. its author, Magda Jemanski. Yeah. Go on.
3: Thanks. That is the euphemistic title, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Magda. You're very welcome. Thank you.
3: Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7.
2: It's time to talk books with our reader from Readings, Jackie Tang. Good to see you again, Jackie. Hey, guys. How uh, How's life for you?
5: Uh, it's going okay. It's <laughs> fine. I'm still um, doing some digital marketing for Readings, and obviously a lot of people have shown their support by buying online yeah. from the independent bookshop, so that's, like, really heartening to see. Mm. Are you catching up on Reading? Um, I should be, but <laughs> actually I find that sometimes the stress of it means that I just – um you know, kind of end up binging on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs)
2: You can't focus. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Nonetheless, what is uh, one of the books that you've got?
5: Yeah, so the book I'm um, reviewing today is uh, a – book of personal essays by Rose Liu, who is a Chinese New Zealander um, based in Wellington. The collection's called um, All Who Live on Islands. And it's this really beautiful personal kind of um, exploration of her experience growing up in New Zealand, which is kind of just similar enough to like really feel resonant to me, but also very slightly different because obviously all of the laws and Um, the kind of immigration patterns that happened in New Zealand in the 90s were really different. Um, So this collection kind of, she sort of starts off most essays focusing on one very specific thing um, and then uses that to explore uh, uh, the history and kind of identity around those things. So, like, one of them is about a kitchen cleaver that she buys and so that kind of moves into an exploration of of Chinese cuisine, of learning how to cook, of her parents passing down recipes to her. There's um, a collection that's about kind of this bargain grocery store because her grandparents have this thing of, like, Um, Whenever they go out to shop, they ask, oh, are we going to, like, the bougie store or, like, the discount one? (laughs) Um, And that's a really interesting essay as well about her family's history of moving to New Zealand and also how the immigration experience for a lot of migrants moves beyond that initial moment of contact with, like, the new country because her parents have now sort of, you know... Made a very comfortable life for themselves. So there's like all of these class issues that she explores in that as well. She's also got some really funny stories about um, her remote, her romantic entanglements um, in Rang- in Wanganui and then in Wellington. Um, she's just a really I kind of want to say that her voice is extremely warm. Like she's the kind of writer that when you read her, you just sort of want to give them hug um please no touching no touching no no I would never um, respect the author Uh, yeah she's kind of I guess the warmth kind I was trying to figure out when I was reading it where that warmth comes from and I think what it is is it's empathy but also tempered by like a clarity of your subject matter and that's what she has she kind of sees everything really clearly and then has the technical writing skill to write about it um with spareness but specificity so it feels like when you read a particular sentence about her grandparents she's picking out all of the very important details that provides a full sketch of their lives and it allows you and it draws you in to kind of want to imagine what the rest of their life is like. Um, She's also just really funny like she's kind of got that Hera Lindsay Bird sort of like razor sharp um, wit in some of her stories. So she goes from like one story where her mother's telling, um, her mother's talking about, oh, you know, I never want to be a burden to you and your brother if I'm ever like, you know, in a, um, health state, uh, just pull the plug on me because she's been hearing stories from China about like people who've gone into financial rule and trying to support their family um and i was reading that and thinking oh my gosh how emotional um and then she talks about she goes into an anecdote about how her grandmother um, was hit by a car, which isn't funny, but then how the next day the headline of the Wanganui Chronicle read um, 70-year-old woman hits 80-year-old woman. <laughs> 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 she's, just, and she, she's got that like that sharp turn where she'll mm-hmm. go from one thing and because she has that technique and that specificity, she'll pick out the exact right thing to kind of like undercut it um, with a sense of humour.
2: Is there a standout I say?
5: Um, I think that cleaver, the one about food is so great. She talks about how like in Chinese, um, the action word for like how you chop with a cleaver means uh, is to, is quick. Like that's how you describe a cleaver, that it's quick. And that's how I think she writes as well. Like she has a swiftness to her, um, where it feels like she's just like skimming the surface, but actually it's more just that like you're carried along in um, the motion, you know, that sort of, like, really addictive, like, I need to read the next page kind of motion. And also she just writes about food brilliantly. Like, I really want to read a book about, like, food just from her as well. Um, And what
2: what about this, is uh, is there a hiking trip?
5: There is a hiking trip, yes. There are multiple hiking trips. That's one's uh, kind of embedded... So she she go, yeah she does go on hikes a lot actually. there's one about <laughs> hikes um, and like her relationships and then there's one actually the final essay which is incredibly um, powerful, which is all a second person um, kind of conversation with her younger brother um, and his mental health. and so she goes on hiking trips there to kind of like and like they talk about his health on those on those hikes she's also got a really great essay about yoga as well that actually made me kind of want to do yoga (laughs) Uh,
2: (laughs) did you know much about rose lube before
5: no i didn't and i'm kind of surprised because i feel like this is exactly the kind of essay collection that if i'd heard about i would have rushed out to buy and read Um, and this book actually came out in 2019 in new zealand i think there's some kind of slight disconnect between Australia and New Zealand, even though we share so much kind of similarities, probably because New Zealanders don't want anything to do with Australia, which I perfectly understand. (laughs) Um, There is a slight dig to Australia in this book as well, which I appreciate it. Um, But it's also just like, I think it's strange that a book this good um, by a writer whose kind of background I really identify with as well wouldn't have come to my attention immediately. Like I think there's some kind of gap there between what's coming out of New Zealand and what we're reading in Australia and I think we could probably make some better bridges with yeah. our neighbors. Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, well, maybe she'll come here to tour it when she's allowed.
5: Yeah, maybe. Mm.
2: That'd be great. Uh, Come cook
5: with me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) You can go on a hike when that's allowed too.
5: I mean, Uh, that won't ever happen, no.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's All Who Live on Islands by Rose Lu. It's uh, out through Victoria University Press. And uh, Jackie Tang, thanks heaps.
0: Thanks, guys. Triple
1: R. You are listening to The Breakfasts. Uh Geraldine here at home, uh, Daniel at home, Sarah in the studio. Yeah, what, what a time technology. we're living in.
0: What a time to be What's alive. That? Just technology. Yeah.
1: Isn't it? Uh, it's been pretty exciting. We've been um, broadcasting. I've been so um, distracted at home, though, kind of looking around thinking, I need to do so many things here. Um, to clean And I know bedroom. a lot of people in, in lockdown have been getting things done that they've, you know, like things that they've always meant to have done. Like, you know, people are planning things and, um, you know, rebuilding things and whatnot. And my place is just a mess. Um, have you guys managed to achieve anything? While on oh, look, d-
2: Dad, d- Dad sent me, Dad's going through boxes and he sent me, He found a school report, so he also is going through his. Everyone has a box of wires, so he's he's found an unusual wire and he's asked me, Is this yours? I'm like, God, I don't, (laughs) yeah, I've been looking for that plug anyway. Uh, he also, yeah, sent through a year seven school report, uh, for textiles. For
1: textiles, Uh, textiles, what did you make?
2: Uh, Daniel worked well on developing his sewing machine skills. However, his pin cushion could have been neater. Oh
0: my God. We, <laughs> you know? we made pin cushions as well. Was that just yeah. bog standard? You know what I
2: think? It. I think I got too ambitious from memory trying to stuff it because it was so much fun stuffing and stuff. I put too much stuffing in the pincushion. cushion. <laughs> but I also just wanted to mention, because I've, I don't spend a lot of time in here, but I got given, um, just looking around the room, uh, which I have to tidy up, uh, there's a Jesse's mother was given by my mother. This, this is very embarrassing. A, yeah. uh, a a blanket when I was a baby that I used to chew. Oh,
1: one right. one
2: of those. So a huge blanket, and then I chewed it down, like chewed it, munched, munch, 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 munch yeah. to like this sliver of a piece of fabric, and then Mum gave it to Jesse's mum, and I'm like, that's weird that you would do that, but anyway. Uh, so Jessie's mum had it and she's recently given it back to me. Uh, except she's sewed it on as a cape for a toy. <laughs> oh. oh, that's so cute. It well it is, except it's the goddamn ugliest toy I've I mean, this is oh. I, I'm gonna call I'm gonna I think it's an owl. I'll I think people it, need to
0: see this. It's like how would how would you describe oh, it? What is
2: that face? It's well, I, I don't know. I guess that's a beak or I mean anyway, that's the that's the sort of can you see the disgusting yeah. decades-old oh, yeah. blanket?
0: Yeah, also um, Daniel's holding I'll up what is effectively you, um, a... Um,
1: that um, disgusting blanket, embarrassing story. And I will raise you a... Um, I had a a, a, a dressing gown <laughs> and the ties on it, the, these ties just suck on the end of, of that. Of the you know the tide,
2: yeah, but, the thing that holds but, the robot. Yeah, yeah, you know the
1: thing you talk together. So I would um suck on that, but because you don't just want to suck on a bit of material, I would, I would <laughs> dip it in Vegemite and then suck. On. I'm so sorry. Anyway. <laughs> I've grown up fine. Everything's (laughs) fine. That's so upsetting. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, Sarah's back. Oh, that's a relief.
0: Yeah, that whole Um, time without you guys, uh, I had no idea that they couldn't hear me. And um, I've just been talking over the top of Daniel and Geraldine that whole time. Oh, what have you done? I've just been talking over the top of you. Yeah, we because can see I, your mouth moving. I yeah, haven't like, oh. anything. You've got to tell me. I can't. You, all, you just kept what? talking. Yeah, <laughs> we
1: figured we we were more concerned with the listeners than with you. you so know, I think for
0: figured... the listeners to know that I was just talking over the top of you randomly, wasn't part of the planned show, I was like commenting and stuff, and you guys just keep talking. I'm like, this is so weird. It's like they've just been little bitches and locked me out of the conversation, which has never happened before.
1: We were very main girls. Yeah, we were very oh, main yeah. girls. Sarah saying something, but whatever. We'll I know. Carry on.
0: <laughs> Bloody hell. Sorry, listeners. And I love this is a bit where we're like, let's just talk about how good it's been working from separate spaces. And then I'm just <laughs> talking over the top of you, which the listeners can hear just because you couldn't hear it.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, Sorry. of course
0: they could hear it. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that's all right. And then then you just give me a thumb. You both just give me these thumbs down halfway through some <laughs> monologue. And I'm like... <laughs> Like you voted me off the bloody breakfasts. <laughs> um, can I just tell you too? So for those who are um, playing at home, Daniel is sitting in a darkened office, right, and his face is illuminated by a single light, yeah. and you can see the slither of a bookshelf behind him and a map of what I think might be New York. And all morning, every time I've looked at Daniel, this has been this has been in my head. Um, I hope you he can hear this at home. Can
2: you hear that Jackson <laughs> Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> is he the, the phantom the X-Files? Yes. <laughs> yeah, oh <okay. So> guys. <laughs> that is what you wanted. What that map?
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's, I, I, Behind that map, is there a safe behind that? <laughs> That's
2: <laughs> right. Look, the truth is out there, everyone, and I'm so glad you brought it up because the Illuminati has this thing going on anyway.
0: Um, we wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you, because I mean it's been doing my head in, but other than the fact that I've been thinking that you're Fox Mulder for this entire show, uh, what is the map for, what is the New York map? Oh, you can't hear me again. I don't know what's going on. This is great. I love that we've got this far into the show and, it was all going so perfectly. Now they can't. Now they can't hear me. So I've been voted off the Breakfasters Island. Yeah, we still can't hear. Yeah, you. I right. don't
1: know whether to say that out loud now. Yeah, you should. Or it it helps yeah. the
0: situation. All right. Triple R on RRR.
6: RRR. FM, uh, digital, RRR. online, via the app.
7: Um, we are broadcasting. Well, Daniel and I are broadcasting from home, uh, but I've got a new home now. Wow. Um yeah, I've um moved to Venus Bay technically as of yesterday. Um and it's you know, obviously I'm in a somewhat of a privileged position and um it's great. I I was yesterday I was on the phone to someone. Um I was on the phone to my to my manager and um I'm sure she was trying to tell me really important things. Mm-hmm. But I was like, but there was a, a kangaroo outside. So I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm listening, I'm listening. But also, no, please stop talking because I have to tell you that there's a kangaroo. <laughs> and then also like two seconds later, there's, there was a rosella that landed on the tree um, just outside the window. And I was just like, this is, I feel like I'm, you know, um, Sleeping Beauty or something, you know, <laughs> so <I> just <laughs> come out to the Spend one day, and there's all these, you know, animals coming. And Ooh, what
0: are you doing? I'm so jealous um, because I stood yesterday staring out the window of my unit at a building site across the street, which is like the noisiest building site that's ever existed in mankind. That has twenty men working on it at a time now to get it done, and all they do all day is like
2: and
5: and And
0: that's all. And that they were my kangaroos. I was just like, when are you? When are you gonna leave? Anyway. Sorry. No, yeah. that's all right. Um, it's just really rubbing it in.
7: Yeah, I could rub it in some more. Okay, go so ahead. On, so, <laughs> on the weekend, though, um, when we were here on the weekend, um, I, was, uh, oh, I was I was looking at the window. What's that? What was it? I was crying about something. I can't remember. I think it might have been after Dad <laughs> hu- had, oh, sorry, had hung up on me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, the visual. Well, so, but I was... I was crying and Kath was giving me a hug and I was looking outside and then I saw something, you know, behind a, a bush, like a, an animal. I was like, what is that? Like, it was like a hind and I thought, I think that's a horse. I think that's a horse. Like, and I'm like, that, that can't be a horse. And I thought, like, I'll just wait for it to come round to the other side of the bush. And then I saw a flash of it and it, but it ran down the hill and I was just like, what on earth was that? Like I couldn't figure out what it was. Like it wasn't definitely wasn't a kangaroo because it wasn't hopping. Um the horse is like the closest thing I could get, but also my mind was just going Oh, it was a bunyip. Yeah, I just
0: went bunyip. <laughs> <laughs>
7: but but is it like we've been we've spent the afternoon What else could watching... be a cross
0: between a horse and a kangaroo other than a bunyip?
7: <laughs> oh, yeah, but no definitely <laughs> Well, true. But it definitely wasn't a kangaroo. It was just like I was just thinking of animals that I have seen out there before and it's mm. really only kangaroos or um, well, th- anything of that size. Like, there's, you know, I've seen echidnas and, and wombats, but nothing of that size. And I was just like, oh, am I making things? Because we spent the afternoon watching this show about um, the investigation of UFOs and aliens, and I was just like, I don't – I don't know what's happening. I don't know whether I've just made something up completely or well, maybe there is a horse. Maybe there's a horse. Maybe someone's got a horse. Maybe there's a Brumby running around Venice Bay. I don't know. But then yesterday, Kat said she went for a walk and she found um, um, prints, deer prints. I think it was a deer. Oh, there's, my God. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and I was just looking up, I was trying to look up whether there was um, there's deer in Venice Bay and I think there used to be um, some here like back in the 60s. But um,
0: <gasps> Maybe it's just like um, the fish coming into the canals of Venice again, the deer are coming back to Venice Bay. Maybe. But if you Google, um, you know, deer in Venice Bay, the Eastern Victoria
7: deer hunting map comes up, oh, so okay. maybe...
0: Maybe don't be flagging where they are
7: Yeah. Anyway, it oh, wasn't a deer, didn't see anything. Get out of it, yeah. I do feel
2: like we're, we're the first act into a uh, into a mystery where, you know, woman goes to coastal retreat and hallucinates <laughs> mythical animals. Totally. Okay. I think it's called Under the Barbadook. <laughs>
7: Have to <laughs> <laughs> try and um, keep an eye out for it, though. But um, but it's yeah, it's 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 astounding. Uh, you know, it's so um, it's great to be here. Um,
2: it's a little less uh, idyllic here because I'm I'm on. We're doing. I mean, I, I haven't heard him cry. I don't heard Gabe cry today. You heard him yesterday.
7: I did for briefly, but off air.
2: Off air, yeah. But I'm I was doing an on air chub blubber tally and. Uh, So apparently I just checked in with him a second ago. He's gassy, but, uh, so far the listeners can't hear that. Uh, and, and also, yeah, working from home, you know, it's, yes, it's, I wish I was there, obviously. Mm. Uh, and you know, it's, you know, as you say, you can see me, I look like I'm hosting that UFO show that you, (laughs) 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 in a hoodie in a dank, dark, um, you know, Enclave. But, uh, yeah, Jesse Jesse just dropped in water and a coffee and nuts and a banana and then yeah. up and go. So, you know, at least I'm getting I'm yes. getting service. Right.
0: and I'm so sitting missed- in a studio in uh, Brunswick by myself and because um, I'm paranoid about using things, I just made myself an instant coffee you. and I didn't want to use a spoon. So after washing the cup three times, I got the jar of coffee and just tipped it into the cup and then got the jar of sugar and just tipped it in and now I'm having the strongest, sweetest, goddamn instant coffee of my life alone in a building. Um so I'm really glad that you're getting delivered nuts and coffee, and Jez, you can see some kangaroos out your door.
2: That's right. I'm waiting for the chief medical officer to come out and say, "We warn you, no nest cafe yeah. from communal minds."
7: <laughs> Meanwhile, well, I just just before I um, poked my head in uh, on Kath, it, who was hoping that she would get up. like I've been waiting for someone to bring me a coffee. Um, <laughs> but, but I I, I That's why you're on the
2: phone in. to your manager. <laughs>
7: <laughs> <laughs> no, I poke my head in And she's like What time is it Like I'd woken her up I'm like Oh it's only 8 o'clock I'm sorry I'll, I'll let you go back to sleep <laughs> um, Also we, we are getting a couple of texts In say There's feral deer All over um,
0: uh,
7: Victoria um, Yeah So There we go oh, I saw a deer
0: <laughs> What makes it feral Oh just not native feral I guess
7: yeah. yeah Yeah Wilson's prom has loads
5: it's not horrible a horrible um,
7: environmental
2: pest, cute but horrible. All right. Oh God. Okay.
4: <laughs> Melbourne's own. Triple R.
2: Italy has been devastated by the coronavirus pandemic, recording the third highest number of total cases behind the US and Spain. Here to tell us about life under lockdown in the country is Triple R subscriber and listener Matthew McKay, who's been living in Italy for the last sixteen years. Matthew, welcome to Breakfasters, and thanks for speaking with
4: us. No problems. Good morning, everyone.
2: Good morning. It's it's a well. I have no idea what time it is over there. What time is it over there?
4: It's uh, about quarter to midnight.
2: Okay. Well, thanks for staying up for us. <laughs> it, it, it's it's enough. Uh, you know, we pick up bits and pieces from the news, but where are you exactly, and what's it like on the ground well,
4: there? Well, okay. I'm in um, a little town called Botonico, which was one of the uh, the first of the eleventh uh, eleven towns that was in lockdown at the time when it happened here on the 21st of uh, February. Um, we're about 50 k south of Milan, to tell you the truth. And uh, But here it was very weird what happened is uh, on the 21st of February, you know, there was uh, the rumours, we heard a lot of uh, news coming around that a case had been caught, um, a, case, a case had been happened just in a small town away from us called Codonio. And then from that night to the next day, we were in complete lockdown. They closed all the all the roundabouts around. They put the military around the roundabouts so no one could leave, and we were just enclosed in these with all these other towns around. And it was it was a very weird sensation to tell you the truth. It's
5: terrifying. Very
4: weird. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It's just strange. Uh, the times when uh, we were going through this, you know, we were allowed to move around inside the areas. But you weren't allowed to go outside the areas. It's just very weird.
2: And how long have you been under
4: lockdown? Uh, we're in our seventh week now.
2: Yeah. And, and so Italy was sort of ahead. It's it hit Italy hardest and mm. earliest. Uh, do you have any sense of why that is? Well. Uh,
4: Probably because, I mean, we've got a lot of old, old age people in in Italy. There's probably, I think we're about the second highest uh, country of old age people. So, therefore, a lot of the the deaths that are going around now, a lot of those are complications of probably old people. Um, People have had their immune deficiency a lot more high than other people, you know, around. So, maybe... Because of the contagion, also because a lot of people live in small towns. You know, a lot of people shop in small towns, they all go to the bars in the morning, you go to the bars at night, you go to a bar to have a coffee or something like that. So there's a lot of interaction with people around the town. So therefore, I think, in and also in that respect, a lot of um, the contagion really spread very fast because of that.
0: What's mm. the medical system like over there compared to, say, somewhere like Australia as well?
4: Well, the medical system, I think, here is, is actually pretty good. I mean, we don't need to – it's not like you've got a, a private uh, – you have to have private insurance and everything to go to a hospital. You, know, you go to a hospital, they'll treat you, and you go back home, and you don't really have to pay anything. You know, So the medical system is quite good. The only thing that they had problems with at the start was supplying the doctors and nurses – with the the um, the masks and and everything they needed to combat this thing, and they they were seeing a big problem at the start, and also at the moment with with supplies. You know. Have you
2: seen anything sort of touching and heartwarming in the as as Italy faces this crisis?
4: I suppose there's a lot more solidarity around the people at the moment. Everyone's very very weary now, and, and most people have are, are going along their lives. Um, Day by day, it's 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 a bit of a, a a it's a very strange period to be in at this point in time because you're living a groundhog day uh, scenario every day because you're inside your house. Um, a lot of people are working from home and smart working, so the half of the companies are open, half of the companies are closed. It depends on what you actually do and what you actually uh, what your work is, and you're living basically inside your house and. You, you can't go outside anymore. Um, you've got uh, uh, you have to have a permit to go to go shopping. You have to have a written permit, so you, you can sign this yourself. But if you get stopped by the police and you don't have a, a reason why you're going around, you'll get fined. How Which, do you- which is correct. Hmm.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, I'm kind of interested in what your how your life has changed personally. So, what do you do? I mean, I don't even know. What do you do in Italy? Why are you living there? Um, and what was your life like prior to this as opposed to now?
4: Uh, well, I work in a, in a logistics company here in in, uh, in Italy as a manager here. Um, beforehand in Australia, that was many years ago, obviously, I was working as a printer at <laughs> um, now, with my wife, I've got two small children. Uh, you know, one is twelve and one is ten. So, our, our lives at the moment is is basically working from home, working in the computer. Uh, the children having their lessons on 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 the internet as well at the at this point in time. So, basically, you you're, you're a teacher. You're you're working uh, all day. Uh, you clean the house three times a day. You're messing up the house three times a day. <laughs> it's a continual continual circle
2: and th- there is some cautious optimism in italy now isn't there just recently
4: yeah, yeah well over the last uh, couple of days it seems to plateaued it seems to be plateauing a little bit now you know the cases are still there but they're stabilizing the deaths are still quite prevalent but they are uh, diminishing slightly slightly so there seems to be a bit of a light towards this tunnel not, mm. We don't still know when we'll get out of here and when we'll be able to to uh, get out of the lockdown, but uh, we were probably one of the first in Europe, actually, to close our borders or close our zones. You know, Other other countries were at least two, three weeks after us, and now, like Spain and others, they're, they're suffering as well.
2: Do you have a sense of how Italy might change, or your day-to-day life might change when this ends?
4: Yeah, I was thinking of that the other day, that, After it all goes and finishes and we're allowed to freely move around, I think people will be very, very cautious about what they do. And if they're going to go to the cinema, if they're going to go to concerts, you know, if they're going to go where there's going to be a lot of people, I think people are going to be very, very um, scared, not scared, but cautious about going around their daily lives as as it was before, you know.
0: It's kind of been interesting seeing how Australians have responded to our our, our semi lockdown. Uh just mm-hmm. culturally what we'll do whether people are still going to their beach houses on the weekends and it's about to you know be Easter here and people have apparently taken off already to their beach houses and uh mm-hmm. do you think there's culturally culturally how have Italians responded to this do you think differently to say how you think maybe Australians might if at all if there's any difference like do you think there's been a different oh. level of resilience or attitude towards it
4: I, th- I think uh, Australians strains probably a bit more, because of this, there's, there's a big space difference, okay? Um, there's, a, there's a cultural difference in that respect. I mean, in Australia, as we know, you, you're living a couple of hours from a people or half an hour from, from someone else. But here, it's very community-orientated, very family-orientated, you know? So... A lot of people now are doing their their Skype imperatives or having dinner <laughs> over, over the internet with their parents or with uh, with friends and stuff like that. Um, like uh, our Easter Easter lunch has now been – we won't be having an Easter lunch this year because you can't really get together and have an Easter lunch as you would normally do. Mm. Uh,
2: and – sorry, Geraldine, go on. Oh,
1: yeah. I was just going to ask, um, like, the longer that you're in lockdown – <clears throat> Do you find it's um, it gets easier, or is it just kind of the the it gets same? Numby. Yeah,
4: yeah so right. It's a, it's a bit the same because you're doing the same thing every day. You're waking up, you're going to work in your in your bedroom or in your kitchen. Um, you, you're making your meals. You're eating a hell of a lot more than you would before. Yeah, you know, we're all getting fat, <laughs> and we're all getting hairy because you know you can't go and cut your hair. <laughs> uh, so. It's it's a very it's a day it's it just seems that every day is almost exactly the same. There's no real weekend, yeah. Because you're always home, you know. Mm. So it's very very strange. And as we're coming out of this, I don't know when we when we come out of this, it's it's going to be weird. I tell you the truth.
2: Mm. What's radio like in Bertonico?
4: <laughs> I listen to Triple R. <laughs> <laughs> Good
0: answer. I like the idea that you're sitting up till midnight to listen to the breakfast. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Uh, that's that's uh, so. It's so great to talk to you, Matthew. Do you have a do you have a message for Melbourne and anyone listening?
4: Since you, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, don't go crazy and buy toilet paper because I mean the, the supermarkets are open; they're going to be stocked up again. You don't need to go out and hoard everything like like rabbits. You know what I mean? It's it's you don't need to do that. Just be careful. Wear your face. Wear your surgical mask when you go around. Keep your distance from everyone, and and basically be careful.
2: Cool. Well, yeah, you be careful, especially when you uh, cut your own hair, which I sense is inevitable.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it is. Just uh, want to say a shout out. To- just like to say uh, happy birthday to my nephew Jake. His birthday's today.
0: Oh, brilliant! Would that be Tantiaguriate?
2: Aguri.
4: Ah, tanti uh-huh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Matthew. I appreciate it.
4: Triple R-, 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 R.
2: We are joined on the line by Simon Hink. Lee, who's feature creature from home. Hi, Simon. Morning, everybody.
7: Good
6: morning. morning. morning.
2: Now, Melbourne Museum is <clears> presently closed to the public. How do you do your thing remotely?
6: Well, what's actually been good for me at the moment is um, I got to take a museum laptop home and because everybody is self-isolating and stuck at home in their garden or going for a walk in the, their nearest reserve, people are still sending in lots of images of things that they have uh, photographed so it's actually been really interesting for me because I'm stuck at home looking out the window but I'm still getting lots of identifications to do and things like that and also as I was just saying to to Geraldine before um, I'm getting to do all the jobs that I've put off for a long time that are are more tedious or less interesting so now that I've got the time and can't get to the collection I'm doing lots of jobs like that at the moment.
2: Oh yeah how much have you have you reduced your inbox? Uh, (laughs) No surprisingly (laughs) it's all the same. (laughs) Maybe Yeah, we'll need to be self-isolating for a few years before we get that down. Uh, What's what's caught your eye entomology-wise?
6: Well, um, I did just want to lead off by saying, um, I think, I can't remember how long ago it was, but I spoke to you guys about peacock spiders, which are those, the beautiful little jumping spiders. Males are beautifully coloured and they do the incredible dances. Uh, One of my colleagues at the museum, Joseph Schubert, has just been published describing seven new species of these beautiful spiders. Um, One of them he's called uh, Maratus constellatus because the abdomen has a beautiful blue and yellow patterning that reminds him of Van Gogh's starry, starry night. So if you Google peacock spiders museums Victoria, you'll see Joseph's work. And some of those new species, he's described 12 new species now, and some of those have been based on images that members of the public have sent him. So he's been able to go, oh, that's new can you collect the spider? Or where did you get it? I'll go and collect it and that sort of thing. So that idea of people sending images into the museum, it's not just, oh, yeah, you've got an orchid swallowtail butterfly, sometimes, it's, which is great in itself, but sometimes we get really important stuff from that. So by all means, people, if you see something, feel free to take a photo and email the museum. But one of the things that did come up for me, um, I went for a walk in my social distancing reserve yesterday. And I noticed Portuguese millipedes everywhere, which you probably, everyone knows Portuguese millipedes. They're about four centimetres long, black, smooth, sort of moving around on the ground. Um, as the name implies, and I can't see the clock, Sarah, so by all means, feel free to shut me down when it's time for me to go because <laughs> yeah. when I'm in the studio, I can see the clock.
0: Go on to that. Go um, on. Militate it up. Um,
6: so as the name implies, the Portuguese millipedes are from the Iberian Peninsula which is Portugal and Spain, and we have a very similar climate. So we have a, what's called a Mediterranean climate in southern Australia, so they've gone gangbusters here. They were accidentally introduced in the 50s. Um, we have lots of native millipedes in Australia. Uh, for example, in the rainforest in Queensland, there's a species that's up to 20 centimetres long, oh. and basically the millipedes... <laughs> I'm glad I can still see your face there. I thought, <laughs> thought that would get a reaction. <laughs> So some of the ones in Australia have really beautiful colours and they're actually doing really important stuff because they feed on decaying leaf litter, um, rotten wood, that sort of thing. So they're doing a good job. But the Portuguese millipedes are the ones that when you go to have a shower or they come into the house, they're in your garden. And the reason they're going off at the moment is they it's the mating season and they're really triggered by the first decent autumn rain. And you don't remember about a week ago we had those two nights of really heavy rain and they have gone gangbusters. So they're all getting together to um, to reproduce. The males have a, a specialised pair of legs they use to to transfer the sperm. So the female will then lay a couple of hundred eggs and when they hatch, the they don't hatch as a little mini millipede with hundreds of legs. They actually hatch... Uh, First of all, with no legs, and then they go through a series of molts. So, as they they molt or shed their skin, um, each molt gets more body segments and more legs. So, it's this really interesting process of of sort of lengthening and adding legs, not just uh, a little mini millipede.
2: Huh, but at one stage, they're a legless millipede.
6: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And I get, and sorry, yep.
2: No, I I also just want to ask the word milli meaning thousand, but that, you know, how many legs do they have? Is that a misnomer?
6: It is a misnomer. Um, the, the Portuguese millipede has a, uh, about fifty body segments, so it'll be around about a hundred legs. There are millipedes with three hundred and fifty pairs of legs, so you can get up to at that seven hundred range. But um, yeah, you're right. There's no one. There's no millipede with a thousand legs. Um, and also, I guess, in the same vein, centipede, which is in, in French, would be a hundred legs, or maybe it's a Latin root. But um, some of those have 23 um, body segments. Some of them have a lot more. Some of them have 180 pair, uh, legs. So it's it's a it's a bit of a misnomer, but yeah, it certainly means many, many legs. Okay. And if you ever get close enough, the difference between a centipede and a millipede is centipedes have one pair of legs per body segment, and millipedes have two. And centipedes have a pair of poison claws, and millipedes don't. So don't pick up either. But, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. But the reason that we get so many Portuguese millipedes in the house is they're attracted to lights. They're one of the few species of millipedes that are attracted to lights. So, um, and they have been known in the past, probably about the early 2000s, the train between Melbourne and Ballarat. The numbers of Portuguese millipedes were so, so huge they were covering the tracks and the trains were having trouble getting traction. So when these things boom and the, you get like a plague population of them, enough of them that they're tra- they just... Moving on mass, and they can actually sort of slow or stop train movement because they're just being crushed, and the trains get stuck on the on the rail sort of thing. So they're really um, a huge uh, population when they get going.
0: What do they? Hmm. What do they eat? Do they eat gar- people's garden stuff, or are they ca- carnivores? They eat.
6: Uh, um, <laughs> they eat basically uh, organic matter, like sort of um, rotting vegetation, uh, dead dead leaves, rotten wood, fungi, that sort of thing. They're, they can be a bit of a pest for some sort of plants and crops they're not like a major pest but they they will certainly do some damage and they've actually i mean i guess in portugal they're held in check by things like um hedgehogs but of course which are very very cute but we don't want hedgehogs here because australia has a great history of introducing something to control something else that goes horribly wrong think of the cane toad think of the um the common miner which was introduced um to predate on a native moth that bothers grapevines. That didn't work. We've still got the moth, and now we've got Indian common miners everywhere. So we don't want to bring in hedgehogs. But in Portugal, they're more imbalanced. But here, they don't have that predator thing, so they just go crazy, and they get into – when I was up in the little desert last year for that bush blitz. Um, peeling bark off in the middle of the National Park and there's Portuguese millipedes under the bark. So they've moved not just into the cities but right into the bush as well, which is um, which is a real shame.
1: How did they get here in the first place? It part? was an
6: accidental introduction. So it, was, it wasn't someone going, like, in the early days. Um, there was a society to sort of make Australia more like England. So they are like, let's bring in pheasants and deer and then let's bring in foxes for hunting. So there was a trying to make Australia like England. This was, um, I think, no one had the idea to let's bring in millipedes that'll be great but they get in things like um you can imagine if there was a nursery and they get into the pot or they get into um they're in something they can live for about two years and so they would have got into a crate or a shipping thing a crop or something like that uh there's some suggestion they might have come in ballast water when they've come in a ship and managed to get onto shore and so they've been accidentally introduced and just gone, on this is the promised land there's no predators it's like home and they've gone off
2: hmm so if people see anything out and about, they uh, now's a good time to flick you an email.
6: Yes. Um, your tax dollars at work keep me busy so um, <laughs> they can email. Um, oh, and also the, the museum is doing something called Museum at Home where we're basically, because people can't come to the museum, we're trying to put um, uh, 3D walkthroughs of galleries online and, you know, talks with experts and that sort of thing. So if you just Google Museums at Home, you'll, you'll find us. And if you want to send images through, just send an email to ask us as in ask us a question mm-hmm. ask us at museum.vic.gov.au and it's a really good time to go and have a look in other people's gardens from the footpath you know see what's <laughs> flying around see what's still there um have a look at some peacock spiders dancing online just yeah look at nature while we're all stuck at home
2: yeah and portuguese millipedes maintain social distancing now yeah. and always
6: <laughs> and i was, I was going to say they do also exude um a chemical that will stain clothing and obviously it's not dangerous but if you were to eat them or rub your eyes so if they're in the house sweep them up don't sort of pick them up and crunch them just sweep them up and turf them in the bin or outside
2: rightio good advice thanks very much simon talk to you soon
6: everybody stay safe Triple R.